Today's episode is made possible with support from the law firm of Best and Flanagan, a team dedicated to building uniquely close relationships with all clients, including individuals, businesses, nonprofits, and generations of family members seeking legal advice. Online at bestlaw.com. Best and Flanagan, lawyers you know. I am a risk taker, but I'm a cautious risk taker. And so I love when I get to do the design work without having that huge investment of, I mean, to design product on your own and be the only supplier of it, you might have to have uh, 500 MOQs minimum, which is minimum order quantity. And that can be a huge investment. You know, you're talking hundreds of thousands of dollars on cutting boards, you know? Like, you gotta really have a great cutting board to do that. Yeah. <laughs> From Twin Cities Business, this is By All Means, a show about innovation, drive, and purpose, and the leaders who make business work in Minnesota. I'm Allison Kaplan, your host and editor-in-chief of Twin Cities Business Magazine. We're coming to you from the studios of our presenting sponsor, the University of St. Thomas's Opus College of Business, serving more than 3,000 students enrolled in its undergraduate and graduate business programs. The college develops effective principal business leaders who think globally and act ethically. And now, by all means. If you watch HGTV or stream any number of the Netflix shows on home remodeling, maybe that's just me, you might conclude that TV is the surest path to success in interior design today. Bria Hamill didn't go that route. She may be quieter than some of her competitors, but it hasn't stopped her from building a nationally recognized design firm based in St. Paul, Minnesota. For a window into her design world, check out her Instagram, at Bria Hamill Interiors, which has more than 200,000 followers. But the even bigger opportunity may be her second business, Brooke & Lou, launched in 2018 as a direct-to-consumer brand offering furniture and decor, both aspirational and practical. Her popularity as a product designer has led to several licensing deals with other home brands, which can also be found on the Brooke & Lou website. And all the while, her design firm continues to grow with clients around the country. And you can trace all of her success back to her childhood home. My mom's a OBGYN, but I always said she she's an in-the-closet designer, where <laughs> she just always wanted to be a designer. But her dad, who was a banker, um, told her that she could never be successful being an interior designer, so she was a doctor. Wow. But I grew up going to wallpaper and furniture stores with her and rearranging my room and watching the latest trends and traveling around the world looking at antiques. And hmm. she was a huge influence on my life. Little did I know that all those times of me complaining about being in the basement of Gabbert's in the kids section while she was looking at fabrics and furniture, that it was really going to shape my future. Really? You weren't thinking then that this could be a no. career for you? Right. No, I went to college thinking that I was going to be a fashion buyer, but I went to Kansas University and I learned that maybe Kansas wasn't the best place to get into fashion. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, we all have to start somewhere. Right. So what did you do after college? Yeah. So I... Um, I was in college and I started getting a lot of comments from friends and family about um, how good I was at pulling fabrics and colors and furniture together. And something hit me one day. I don't know if it was like a one moment, but something just changed in me and said, maybe I should do this for a living. And I was in school at the time for business, thinking that I was going to be a fashion buyer. But quickly realized that I wasn't feeling fulfilled. And so I switched majors. 
towards the end of my junior year in college, which my parents were thrilled about. <laughs> what did you switch to? To interior design. Okay. Yeah. As an actual major? Yes. Yep. And what was it about interiors that spoke to you in a way that fashion didn't? Because they're certainly related. Yeah. I, I guess I just felt like it was more accessible to where I was location-wise. And maybe I was a little bit better at it. Hmm. It just came a little bit more naturally to me. Mm-hmm. It didn't feel as forced. And it still felt like I could go anywhere, do anything, but just maybe something that was just a little bit more organic feeling for me. At the time um, when you were in school, you're younger than I am, I'm sure most people are these days. But I mean, what, were, were there as many TV shows? Was it all, I mean, was the design craze, the HGTV, was it all happening or was it a little before that? Yeah, it was before that. I would say that I did deep dives into shelter magazines. So okay. Architectural Digest, Traditional Home. Not a lot of TV shows that I can remember. I mean, I I was in college from like 2000 to 2005. It was before uh, Chip and Joanna yes, took over definitely. Waco. Yes, <laughs> And all of that. Yep. Um, so when you got out of school, what did you do? I mean, it, it's, it's a career that a lot of people aspire to, but yeah. actually breaking in can be challenging. Yeah. You know, I um, was really lucky at the school program that I was in required internships to graduate. And so I got an internship my senior year working for a firm actually in Lawrence, Kansas, who did both residential and commercial design. I feel like it was just something very unique and special. And part of the reason why I'm doing what I did now or what I do now is because I got to see both sides of design. And a lot of college programs either push you to one direction or the other. Most of the time, I feel like college programs are either pushing you into architecture or commercial design. Mm. But having that internship, I was doing both. And I really learned how much more I was attracted to residential design. I loved the relationship part of it and the fact that I could really impact a person's life. Like I could see the direct impact versus commercial design. You tend to work with a large team. You might be just working on a portion of the project. Residential, I could have influence on the entire home. Mm Mm-hmm. So is that what you what you did? Did you go work for another firm? Well, I, I was lucky enough to be offered a job there, and I stayed on with that firm after I graduated for about two years. And again, I I was really close with the owner, and she was incredible and really believed in me, and I think she would have kind of wanted me to take over the business. She was getting towards retirement age, and I was still in Kansas, though, and my family was back here in Minnesota, and I just decided that it it was time for me to go home. So in 2006, I moved back to Minnesota. And immediately started your own. No, no. It's, you know, it's interesting because I, since I was down in Kansas and kind of made this decision to be in design and I did my education down there and my first internship and job was down there, I kind of felt like I was entering a whole new world coming back to Minnesota. Hmm. I didn't really know the design community here. Um, I didn't know how to get into it. So it almost felt like I was starting over a little bit. So when I started looking for jobs, I actually found a job as a designer for Ethan Allen in Edina. Mm. And that's where I'd grown up. And so I thought that was a nice way to at least get my foot in the door with the community and get to maybe meet some potential clients. And it was a really well-paying job and they offered benefits. And right out of college, it was kind of a win-win for me. The only downfall was that it was retail. So I worked a lot of weekends and holidays and the schedule wasn't ideal, but as far as getting my foot in the door in the design world, it was really a great opportunity. What made you feel like you were ready to go, like you were ready to set out on your own? 
Oh, I don't know. I got married. I had a supportive husband. <laughs> mm-hmm. I was pregnant. You know, it's just like all the life changes. Great time to start a I know. business, right? I know. I just, I kind of felt like I I went from Ethan Allen to working for a local designer who had just started her own firm and she was very talented and I kind of helped her start her firm. So I kind of watched how, like what all went into it mm. and learned a lot from that. And it just felt like the right time. Like I could take that risk. You know, my my husband was doing well enough that I could kind of maybe not worry too much about it. Like it was definitely, we would have to change our lifestyle, but it just felt like the right time to try and take that. And I, in my head, I was like, well, maybe I'll stay at home with my son and I'll do this on the side. And that didn't last. We had a nanny within four months of him being born, but that was kind of just a nice, like, not a lot of pressure to sure, go into it. Sure. I think a supportive spouse is a big part of many an yeah. entrepreneur's story. Yeah, it's definitely. important to, to recognize that, yeah, how much easier it, it makes it to, to just have the confidence to go out there and do it. So, so there you are, you, you incorporate, you're now Bria Hamill Interiors, it's your own thing. Yeah. What happens? Does the phone ring? How do you get business? Well, you know, I was lucky enough to be part of a really great community from high school. Um, I went to visitation for high school. My husband went to St. Thomas Academy, and that was kind of the foundation of my business is when I started it, we kind of spread the words and at the time, our friends couldn't afford to hire a designer, but their parents could. Mm. And so it was a lot of people. Um, my first clients were parents of friends from high school, and they would spread the word. I would do a good job for them. I worked my butt off, and <laughs> I um, you know, cared a lot about them and their work and what I was doing for them. And so they referred me to their friends, and then you know, it was, again, very organic. I didn't spend a lot of money on advertising. I just really invested my time into the people that I was working for. And I think that really helped me build that base. Did you have a certain style at that point that you were really known for? I mean, you kind of have to be open to what the client wants, right? Yeah. You know, I think that can be tricky for designers and to making that decision of, am I known as a style or am I known for how I do my work Mm -hmm. or am I known for, you know, publicity or whatever it might be? And at the time when I started, I mean, I wasn't able to be picky. I was helping them. My goal was that every project I did had a feeling. And so that feeling was that it was livable, approachable, comfortable. But whether it was a modern home or a traditional home, um, I wasn't being picky about that. I just wanted to make sure that everything I did, people walked in and they felt like at peace and calm. How would you describe your personal style? I would say that I definitely have more traditional influence. I was born in the South and I only lived there for seven years, but I think that I have that Southern feeling in it's me. It's in the bones. It, it, it really is. <laughs> and my mom definitely has traditional style as well. And her influence on me just really, I think, kind of it gets in you as much as you say, I'll never like pink again or <laughs> flowers again on my walls. Here I am with flowers and pink in my house. So, mm-hmm. you know, definitely traditional, but. A little bit more like a step back where it just feels a little bit more approachable and casual where everyone can walk in and feel like they can sit on any piece of my furniture and use any space in the home. Mm -hmm. I think when you are doing such a, you know, when you're a designer and it's a client facing business and it's so hands on, you reach a point where I imagine 
you have more business than you personally can handle yeah. and you have to decide like is that it do you cap it mm-hmm. or are you going to grow into a firm right. did you always know you wanted to be bigger than just yourself i don't know that i had an end goal of size and i get that question a lot i think my biggest thing was i wanted to be able to help as many people as i could and so when i started getting that work where i knew that i couldn't do it all myself i first honed in on Where can I work that I'm really working in my sweet spot? And then how can I fill in to help support that? So instead of me spending half my time on accounting and half my time on operations and ordering all the clients' products, Mm. I decided I would hire that out so that I could focus on the design. So that's where I started, which really allowed me to, you know, the more time that you can work in your sweet spot, one, you enjoy what you're doing more. And so I'm one of those people, I love Mondays. I can't (laughs) wait to wake up and start the week and be able to do what I get to do every day. But that's because I'm doing the things I'm really good at and not as much of the things that, you know, were struggle or a stretch for me. Sure. So you like the design. I do. You want to work with clients directly? Yeah. So I love the design, but I also love the business side of it. Hmm. So maybe that's come from growing. You know, I've been in business for 11 years now and I've enjoyed watching, you know, the ebbs and flows of business and how so much of what is happening in the world impacts us. But I do love the relationship part of the client project and processes where I'm spending a lot of time getting to know them and what's going to make their lives better and how we can really take this home of theirs and make it something that they could have never done on their own. Mm -hmm. What I'm not as good at anymore is the the detail of creating the specification sheets and all the AutoCAD work and all the things that, you know, design is 10% pretty and 90% work, you mm. know, and the, the technical parts of the business. So I just, I don't do that as much anymore as I really try and nurture the relationships with our clients and making sure that we're hearing, my team is hearing really what their needs are so that when they walk in, they're like, oh, I didn't even think about that. But of course, you guys covered that for me. So it sounds like it was sort of a gradual progression for you. You start by kind of outsourcing certain kind of mundane tasks. And then how long was it before you actually hired your first employees? Yeah. So my first employee was probably 11 months after I started the business. Wow. That's pretty fast. Yeah. And then. And was that a designer? She was an assistant. So, you know, at the time we were kind of like dividing and conquering. Pretty soon after that, though, is when I hired my first bookkeeper. Okay. And that's really was nice to be able to kind of get that part off my plate. How um, how many employees do you have today? Oh, gosh. We're at 12 right now. Wow. Plus, we've done a lot of contracting out. I've learned that there's no reason for me to pay a full-time HR person, and mm. there's not a reason to have a full-time IT person. But we have all those teams. So Mm -hmm. we have an outsourced accounting team and we have an outsourced HR team and an outsourced IT team. So all of those things that they really work smart and they're very skilled at what they do. It almost allows me to hire up and to be able to have employees that, you know, they, they act as employees. They're on Slack channels with us and they're in communication with us almost every day. Mm -hmm. But I couldn't afford them if they were just working for me. Sure. You know, so it's a, a way to really be able to hire up and and make it a little more cost effective. That's a really good insight, I think, for, for small businesses and yeah. for people who are growing quickly. 
On the flip side of that, are there any positions beyond designers that you've realized you really do need in-house? Yeah. Well, when it comes to creativity, that's tricky for me to outsource. So our marketing team is in-house and our design team has always been in-house. And that's just because, you know, we're known for our design and we're known for our brand. And if I outsource that, that can be a little bit harder to kind of keep it feeling like me when it comes down to it. Mm Mm-hmm. Now, we have someone that helps us with social media as far as she's doing the physical work of posting things for us. But myself and my um, marketing manager are the ones that are either I'm not creating content, but my marketing manager creates the content. And then she's, you know, sharing it with the social media person to do the posting. So do you approve every photo that goes I don't. Out? No? I don't. No. Is that hard it, to, to it not was. be too controlling? You know, what's really great is... M- most of my team has been with me for over half the lifetime of the business. And when I got to that point, I didn't have to do that anymore. These, these people have been part of me and been through, you know, seen it when we've been really small to growing this large following on social media. And she, my marketing manager, I don't need to. Sometimes she shows me things that I'm like, I would have never thought of that. You know, so. <laughs> like what? Well, just like the way that she does branding and graphics and. You know, everything she touches is beautiful. When she wants to present to me a new idea, she presents it in such a lovely way that it's just like, like wow. <laughs> of course I'm going to say yes to that, you know? So they, it's, I'm, I'm really blessed that my team is that way, that we all understand each other so well that I don't have to micromanage that way. Now, the photos that go on social media are all from our photo shoots. We, we typically only share professional photos or photos that I've taken from my phone during install. Mm -hmm. So I've seen all the photos already. I don't really need, we're not like making up photography. Sure, sure. So that's all all approved already because I was there while we were taking the pictures. Instagram is a platform that was just made for interior design and so much of it is about beautiful aspirational photos. How important has that been to the actual growth of the business, not just the number of likes? Yep. Instagram has been the number one reason why my company is where it is today. Really? We do. I would say that most of we do about 75 percent of our work is not in Minnesota currently. Mm -hmm. And that is because of social media. Really? It's incredible. I, we do work all over the country. And these people, we, we ask them on our intake forums, how did you hear about us? And most of the time, whether they're in town or out of town, is from Instagram or Pinterest or social media of some sort. So when you first started, I mean, you were just serving the local market. Right. And right. did you have aspirations to become an, a national brand? I, again, I don't know that I cared as much about the celebrity status as much as I cared about having a really strong business. I do love working with other people. So I knew that I didn't want to be by myself. Mm-hmm. I wanted to have people that, was, that were in the office with me, sitting by me and helping me do this work. How big that needed to be, I don't know that I really cared. I wanted to be able to support my family with my husband and take on that weight with him and be able to have my children go to the same school as I did. And, you know, some of the more of like, what did I want in my life mm-hmm. and be able to support it that way. And whether that I could do that with three employees or 300 employees, it didn't matter to me. So was it a, an accidental um, discovery on was, Instagram? Did it did it happen well, slowly? Or? I noticed that 
I kind of started to think of Instagram as like a living portfolio. So, you know, when we used to send people to our website all the time to see our work, Instagram was a way of putting it in front of them without really having to talk about about how great we were. Hmm. You know, it was, I can be a little bit, I don't know if humble is the right word, but one of the, I don't love to talk about myself. <laughs> and so Instagram was nice because it was more of like, look at this beautiful work we did and let us tell you why we had so much fun doing it or yeah. what was the design challenge that we overcame for our client. And it was just a really nice way to put it out there didn't, that didn't feel so much like, look at me all mm-hmm. the time. Hmm. And it was every day. You know, we kind of early on decided we were going to try and post one post every single day. This was before stories or any of that came mm-hmm. into play. And I soon, soon as we started posting all these pictures, you could scroll and kind of see that, like, this looks just like our website. It's beautiful photography. We're, but instead of just someone looking at a picture and making assumptions, we could actually put an explanation behind it mm-hmm. and talk about where was this located, what were the clients in search of, and how did we fix their problems. Yeah. It, maybe it's hard to even separate today, but I mean, do you feel like it, it, does it help you as much today? Now, obviously you've got a big following now, um, but I mean, you kind of grew up with it in, a, in a sense. Mm-hmm. If you were starting out today, do you think the same thing would have happened or is, it, is there more clutter now? I think there's definitely more clutter, although it's interesting. I don't know that having a certain amount of followers equals success. Uh-huh. I think it did early on. Gave you credibility. Now, I would say that there's designers, famous, famous designers out there, who have you know a quarter of the amount of followers as us, and they're they're doing incredible work. So I don't think that like if you have followers, you're a great designer, or vice versa. If you're not, Mm -hmm. if you don't have a lot of followers, you're not a great designer. But for us, we did just happen to be in that moment when Instagram was became a business tool instead yeah. of it just being, I mean, I was on it when it was just posting pictures of what you did that night. Sure. And it was supposed to be not so perfect photography. And then it kind of switched for a while into more of like, you know, advertising and marketing tool. Mm-hmm. And now I think they're trying to make it go back to a little bit more personal, which we love because we kind of miss that grit. And the yeah. we're starting to add behind the scenes now because we just want people to see like, we do more than just beauty. We're on job sites in the snow. We are real people. We are real people doing real <laughs> things. And we it can really be... Really fluff the pillows. Yeah. And it can be dirty work sometimes. So we'd like to share that. Um, are, do you pay attention to other platforms? Is there any other platform important to the brand? You know, we, we watch all things because we'd never want to miss out on what's coming next. Mm-hmm. You know, we've dabbled in TikTok. I, I struggle with TikTok. I'm not saying that it's not important. And I think that that seems to be what's up and coming. I think for us, though, as designers, Pinterest has been a surprise where it was really popular five years ago. Yeah, And then I feel like it kind of dropped down. But now, more than ever, when we look at our stats on our website of where people are coming from to get to our website, it's Instagram and Pinterest. And Pinterest is right up there again. So I think Pinterest has changed where it's not so much about like making the boards. It's more just a search tool now. Yeah, search tool. And I think we use it as a file tool. Hmm. So we're using it to save imagery. And that's we have private boards for all of our clients that we're kind of using as a tool to organize all the details. So if we're picking a kitchen faucet, we have a Pinterest board with it 
that we save that faucet onto their kitchen board mm-hmm. and we use it as a team. So it's not even really a pretty tool for us. It's just an organizational tool. For Interesting. Us. What plays the best on, on the on the Bria Hamill interiors Instagram? Like you must know this picture is going to just blow up. Well, yeah. What is it? Is it all white and wood beams? And no. <laughs> what is it? It's bookshelf selfies, we call it. Really? I, I know it's crazy. But anytime we put put a picture of a close up of a bookshelf, styled really well. Uh-huh. People love it. Interesting. That's not what I would have I expected. Know. Why do you think that is? I think that it gives them something they feel like they can accomplish themselves. Huh. It's not an easy thing to style a bookshelf, actually, to make it feel curated and collected and not just like it was staged, mm-hmm. but then also not too messy. And people just really gravitate towards bookshelves. Do you have one critical piece of advice you can give us right now to oh, to gosh. up our bookshelf game? Well, <laughs> I would say that you have to really understand scale to style a bookshelf. So not putting a bunch of small objects, but you know, if you have a, a bookshelf and you have two large objects, that might be enough on one shelf. So it, it, it's not for the faint of heart to, <laughs> to style a bookcase. And I always, it's a great tester for when we're interviewing for designers because styling is a beast on its own. And if they can do really good styling, then I feel like they can do anything. When we get back, we'll hear how Bria broke into retail. But first, a word from our sponsor. Today's episode is made possible with support from the law firm of Best and Flanagan. Understand, identify, manage, protect, and realize the value of your intellectual property and other business assets. Expect a customized approach from Best and Flanagan with legal advice carefully tailored to protect your interest within the context of your overall business strategy, goals, and vision. Best in Flanagan, a legal team dedicated to understanding where you want to go and helping you get there. Local advocacy and advice from lawyers you know. Online at bestlaw.com. COVID paved the way for a new service that has broadened Bria's design business. Take a listen. We started to scramble because we were terrified. We were Base, a business based on relationships, being in people's homes, and seeing things in person. And we didn't know what was going to happen. So when we, when we started pivoting during COVID, we started offering e-design services. Mm. And also what's called expert sessions. We design the space, but then the client implements. So they're ordering the product. They're mm. installing the product. They're measuring. The, we don't go to the home. They... We have these tools that they can use where they can send us 360 videos of the room and they do all the measurements for us. And then we can turn around their project in six weeks. So so you're basically giving them a, a roadmap. That's right. So they can do it themselves. So that is a, a product born or a service born of the pandemic. That's but right. is it still popular today? Yeah, it is. And, you know, when it, you have an economy that can be a little bit timid and it's just a really nice and sometimes people do it to test us you know and that's great we just had a client sign on with us actually in texas and she's in a home right now that they're going to be living in for a couple years while they build their new home and she had me do an e-design for her first and then she signed on so did you know you were being tested yeah she told us (laughs) (laughs) and i love that because i you know i it, it goes both ways it's really just as important to us, not about the scale and the budget of the project, but are we going to get along with them? And are they going to trust us and value our opinions and all of that? So it's actually a win-win for both of us to be able to do that. 
So the business is growing, you're getting work all over the country, and then at a certain point you decide, I'm going to start designing products too. Yeah. Was that always something you wanted to do? You know, as a designer, I think it kind of comes innately where you see gaps in the market, where you're trying to work on a project and you have this idea in your head of this piece of furniture that would be the perfect thing for this project and you can't find it anywhere. Mm. And I think that that was always in me from the day that I started designing for clients. And when I decided to launch our our retail business, Brook and Lou, it was that, but then also not it was more than just a product. It was about a type of a type of furniture that was missing. We because I was young when I started the company, we tended to attract younger families who, you know, it might be their second home, they're having children. They wanted to live in their home. They wanted it to be beautiful, but they were terrified of like what was going to happen to this investment. Mm-hmm. You know, like I'm going to go spend this much on a sofa and then their kids are going to spill their their orange juice on the sofa. And so we were constantly working to develop these pieces of furniture for the clients mm-hmm. that would hold up to their busy lifestyles. And it wasn't easy. There wasn't a company I could go to and just say, Oh, perfect. This I I know that the quality is going to be good. The price point is going to be right, and I could just plug and play into our clients' homes. So we decided to start developing it with some manufacturers, and that's kind of where Brook and Lou came of having this what we have now trademarked life friendly furnishings. I don't think your whole house has to be full of it. I think that it's important to have a blend, but those key pieces that are in your home that you want to be beautiful, but also you want to feel comfortable with your family sitting on it and not worrying about spills and mm-hmm. all of that. So it isn't, um, it's not kids' furnishings, it's kid-friendly. That's it's right. It's family. It's, we call it life-friendly. Yeah. And that's because adults can be just as messy as children. <laughs> so true. <laughs> so true. Um, do you, you sell online, how, how much of it, is going to your design clients versus just any old consumer coming and finding and buying pieces from you? Yeah, I would say that actually probably 80% is not our clients. Really? When we do design work for our clients, it's really important for us to have it be very custom, very specific to their their home. And if I were to just constantly use broken loop pieces, I think our projects would all start to look the same. Mm. Now, it doesn't mean that we're not using the same manufacturers or you're, you're going to see a similar fabric or, you know, there's fabrics. A lot of clients hire us because they've found Brook and Lou and then they hear that we're designers. So it's kind of now hmm. going reverse. So certainly we include some of the products, but I would say most of our business from Brook and Lou has just been people finding out who we are. We had the store in Edina for a while. We do a lot of advertising and we've done pop-ups all over. and just getting our name out there and people have really gravitated to that. But mostly it, it is it's online. I mean other than yeah. doing pop-up events. Yeah. We'll talk a little yeah. more about the store, but before we do that, I want to know how how big of an undertaking was this because it seems like that's a whole other business it for is you. 100% a second business. And you know, it was a huge undertaking. I don't think I slept for 6 months when we decided to launch that business. When did you launch? We launched in 2018. Okay. So It took us, I decided in January, I'd been talking about it for a while, and I decided that January of 2018 that I was going to do it, and we launched in August. Hmm. So it was quick, 
especially when it comes to creating a new brand, developing the website, and then, you know, picking all the pieces that were going to be on the site. I think we launched with over a thousand SKUs, which looking wow. back on is absolutely absurd. What about the name? My children. Those Your kids are Brooke and Lou? Yes. Okay, so that my was easy. My son Louie and my daughter Brooklyn. And it kind of made sense to me because the business was a lot about family. And, you know, the whole reason why I created this was because I wanted my house to be like that, like my clients mm-hmm. did. I wanted a beautiful home that my kids could feel comfortable living in. And that's where it came from. Do you design all the products? Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Now, we we curate a lot of it. So it's not 100% exclusive to Brook and Lou. Our upholstery is all 100% exclusive, and we have some other pieces that we've curated around along the way. And now I'm doing licensing partnerships with brands where I'm designing, but you can buy it on other websites too. Mm. It just has our name on it. But it's a it's a collection of pieces that we love that we want to use in projects or we have used in projects to pieces that we've never seen before that we want to share with the world. Was it an instant success or has it taken a while to to ramp it up? It depends on what you consider success. It is a different type of business than my design business because when I started Bria Hamill Interiors, I started in black. I didn't have to take out any debt to start the business. And you really, that's not really possible to do for a retail for home furnishings. You got to invest, right? Well, you have to have inventory. Yeah, right. (laughs) Minor detail. Yeah. You know, and even for my design business, I didn't really need to have a fancy website because it was just really my portfolio and a contact page. Mm -hmm. Versus if you want to sell online, you have to have a website that works, Mm -hmm. you know, and actually has the this whole different system behind it. Sure. So a much bigger upfront investment. Much bigger upfront investment. So for that reason, that if you looked apples to apples, I would say that it's not as big of a success. But the reach that it has had and the the ability to grow so quickly has been has been much quicker than Bria Hamill Interiors. Really? Yeah. Just the the people that we get orders from every single day we see on our phones, you know, who's ordering and it's from all over the country. Amazing. It's it's crazy. It's got to be really gratifying. It's very gratifying. I actually have this thing where every time, this is so silly and I can't believe I'm saying this out loud. I've never actually told anyone. <laughs> I'll do my it. This. But every time I get an order, I always think in my head, thank you for your order. Because I just am so grateful. Mm-hmm. I'm just like, you know, and it could be a $75 order or it can, we've gotten $35,000 orders wow. before. And every single one of them I'm grateful for because I'm just like, wow, how did these people find us? You know, and they're trusting me to put these products in their home. And it's just a really cool feeling. At this point, I mean, does that have the bigger potential? Well, it's more scalable. Yeah. So, you know, as a design business, I have a fabulous team. I am not the only designer on the team. We are able to scale that way, but there's always going to be this thing with our clients that they want a piece of me in mm-hmm. it. And that makes sense. My name's on the door. Mm-hmm. But Brooke and Lou is something they don't even know who Bria is most of the time. Mm-hmm. So that part makes it a lot more scalable. And that is what one of the reasons why it was so exciting for me to start is that it could be something maybe my children took on or something we sold someday. Mm-hmm. You know, it's just there's so many opportunities. And then I could always do my design work. Sure. That it's my baby. I love it. I'll, I was just talking to somebody the other day about when they th- when I thought I would retire. And I told them, I don't think I ever will. 
Mm-hmm. I might do less, mm-hmm. but I like I'm in a business and a career that you can do this until you die. Mm-hmm. You just really can. Yeah. And I I love it that much. But Brooke and Lou is a business that I can have a lot more people helping me and I can I don't I don't have to be the face of it, which sure. I think is really nice. Do did you set up Brooke and Lou as a separate business? Is it a division yes. of the interior design? Is it its own thing? Completely separate business. And I did that intentionally so that we just, well, there's a lot of reasons. You never want to have one business take another down mm-hmm. or vice versa. And it just, it's nice to be able to, the books are separate, that even the employees, when we're doing, we have employees that work on both companies, but we, when we're doing our books, we separate out the percentage of how much they work on each company and really? it hits both books. Yep. Do most employees overlap or? No, I think we have probably, there's probably four of us that do both. Okay. And and then are there some employees just for Brooke and Lou? Yes. Okay. Yes. And we, well, you know, we have a warehouse and we have to ship all the things. And Is that all in Minnesota? Yeah. Yep. In Edina okay. is our warehouse. And that's a full-time job, that poor girl. She is a saint. <laughs> oh, it's a great workout, though. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, but, you know, so that's a full-time job. And our customer service person, she helps sometimes with Braham Interiors, too, but you know, it, it kind of ebbs and flows in the season. COVID, we exploded. Mm-hmm. And so we had a lot more employees. But it was hard because when you hire a, a lot of employees who had never done that type of work, we weren't nearly as efficient. So now that we have employees that have been with us for a long time, they're very efficient. We've been able to actually scale back on the 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 volume of employees we've had because everyone's so much better at their jobs. I know you you said that obviously you don't have to be as intensely involved. It's a business that doesn't have your name on it, even though it's yours. At the same time, it's still young. How do you divide your own time, your work time today? Well, I work on both businesses all the time. They are very (laughs) intertwined Mm -hmm. as far as what I do for the businesses. I am very heavily involved with the product of Brook and Lou and kind of the brand and what our customers are seeing and touching and feeling. And that's what I do for Bria Hamill Interiors, too. I I am really involved in the the vision and the kind of the creation of the overall design. But then my team is doing the work. So my team is for the design company is picking out the faucets and then I'm approving them. But I'm not you know, doing the CAD work and the same thing with Brook and Lou I'm picking out the pieces and I'm I'm checking the price point on things and the quality of things and making sure that they're going to live up to our standards. But then somebody else is doing the physical work of, you know, contacting the vendor and negotiating or taking it off our site or all of that. So. Mm-hmm. You experimented for the first time with a uh, brick and mortar yeah. retail. Yeah. You did a pop-up in Edina. Yeah. That, can you still call it a pop-up if it goes for two years? I know. I mean, we called it a pop-up because that's what it was. We signed a six-month lease. Um, and again, during COVID, we just did all the things during COVID. Yeah. It was a really, really great opportunity. And I think that Nolan Mains did an incredible job of attracting retail during really tough retail times. Yep. Nolan Mains is the new development at 50th and France. Yes. It's been yep. really successful. Really great. What did you learn from that yeah. experience? So I had never really had intentions of having a retail store when I started the company. I had planned on always being e-commerce. But when the opportunity came, it was kind of like a there was no risk, really. Mm-hmm. And we 
did it for the six months and I learned that a few things. I learned that it was really nice for people to see things in person. Mm -hmm. It was also really nice for them to get to know our brand with my people. My people that work with me are incredible. They're kind. They're smart. And I think that was the biggest thing is the connections that my team made with our customers. Mm. And when we decided to to close the store in Edina, we were worried. That was our biggest worry is how are we going to maintain this relationship? Hmm. And it was very successful in my eyes as far as that part of it. But I don't know that I needed to pay high retail real estate prices because the people that were shopping with us were coming to us from all over town or traveling in and knew where we were. And they weren't necessarily the people that just happened to walk by and instantly became our customer. So as much as foot traffic was nice to have that visibility, they weren't the people actually buying from us. It was destination. It was a destination, but, even though it wasn't. <laughs> but but they don't really have another destination now, do they, other they than your don't. website? Yeah, just our website. But we do, we were at the Dayton's Project mm-hmm. over the holidays, and, and we plan on doing more pop-ups. Have you done them in other cities? We have not technically. We're considering going national. It, the technical part of that gets tricky. Yeah. How do we get our product there? Who's mm-hmm. going to staff it? Um, I do have two young children, so I need to be present <laughs> at home. Um, well, what about selling to another retailer or, you know, having your product? Yeah. Would you consider that? Well, you know, we I'm blessed enough as a designer now that I've been approached about licensing deals yeah. with brands. And so that's kind of the start of that, of I launched my first licensing project with Etu Home, which was a home decor, but specifically in the kitchen realm of accessories and decor. And so, is it called? I mean, it's it's your name. Yeah, it's there. Bria Hamill by Etu Home. Okay, and we launched that a year ago now, and that's been really successful. And we have about three more partnerships right now that I'm designing. Um just signed on another one last week. So Wow. That's that's fun. And that that's not technically Brook and Lou, but we sell it all on Brook and Lou. Okay. But that that's a way for me to get even more creative mm-hmm. without the risk of having to go find a manufacturer somewhere and buy a ton of inventory and hope that it sells. You know, mm-hmm. it's kind of like these brands take the risk for you. Yeah. But they get my design expertise, and then we get to sell it to the world. What do you think th- they are drawn to? Is it your aesthetic? Is it your your name and following? I think it's definitely a combination of both. Um, obviously, when they invest in someone to do a licensing project, they need to make sure it's going to be marketable. So having a brand, but also just, again, that concept of having this traditional decor that feels very livable and usable is really great on a retail capacity. It feels very approachable to a general consumer. And I think the brands really like that of they feel like they're getting a designer look, but it's something that they can actually physically see in their home Mm -hmm. and not be so intimidated by. And I think that that's kind of what we're known for. That's a whole different skill set. I yes. mean, now you're it's not just your design expertise, it's product expertise. Yeah. And then it's translating maybe some of your, um, you know, very exclusive taste to a broader audience. Right. 
Have you found that tricky or has it been a natural evolution? You know, I've always told people that I am unique and I think I'm very left and right brained. And the technical part of it is something that comes up a lot when I'm designing of just thinking down to the detail. And so when I'm designing product, I'm constantly like I remember with the two home when we started talking, they they're kind of known for these wood charcuterie boards. And I mean, you'll see them almost every retail home decor store sells them. Pottery Barn has their line in it. I mean, they're everywhere. Mm -hmm. And they've always had these boards. But when we were styling homes, I used to get so frustrated because their boards were too tall to put under a kitchen cabinet. If you wanted to lean it up against a backsplash, it was too tall. Hmm. So the first thing when we came up and decided to do this partnership, I said, I love your boards, but we need to do some that are actually going to fit under kitchen cabinets. I love it. <laughs> you know, Did you go to them with that insight? Is that how yeah. this came about? Well, no. I mean, we had talked about it. I We're a good customer of theirs. Yeah. And I, I met the owner by going to markets and we connected on a personal level. And I always had said, you know, I would love to work with you and create these products together. We were very passionate and excited about what we both did. And so the, it was more of a relationship behind the collaboration, but I try to keep those things in my pocket until they sign on Mm -hmm. because you got to show your worth, right? (laughs) So when you have one of those where they're like, oh, that makes sense. Why didn't I think of that? You know, I like getting those right in because it's like a nice little hook. There you go. (laughs) There you go. Um, And with the subsequent licensing deals, um, same thing through relationships or now are they just coming to you? A lot of it's relationship. I always tell when I'm talking to other designers, I get a lot of questions about like, how do I get to do that someday? And I always say, you've got to put the time in. Mm -hmm. I go to markets four times a year. I go to High Point, to both High Point markets every year. And I go to both Atlanta markets every year. And then I'm going to a lot of the antique shows. And I have a lot of FaceTime with these people. And then, you know, we give them, we dedicate our business to them. So Mm -hmm. Instead of having 300 vendors that we source from, we have a fairly small list of vendors that we source from for our clients. And so we're a big customer of theirs. Hmm. And that's that was a strategic move, but also a way to protect my clients to make sure that they're going to get the best customer service ever. Because if I'm one of these brands' best customers, my client is one of their best customers. Yeah. Um, now that you have all these different streams, when you're when you're considering a licensing deal, how do you decide that that's the better route to go as opposed to adding product to the Brook and Lou line? Yeah, well, one of the deals typically is that we get to put it on our on our site, and it has my name on it, so it's kind of a win win. Then as, I see. You know, in my head, the more people that has access to your product, the better, whether it's on my site or theirs. Mm-hmm. But I am a risk taker, but I'm a cautious risk taker. And so I love when I get to do the design work without having that huge investment. Mm -hmm. I mean, to design product on your own and be the only supplier of it, you might have to have uh, 500 MOQs minimum, which is minimum order quantity. And that can be a huge investment. You know, you're talking hundreds of thousands of dollars on cutting boards. Yeah, right, right, right. You got to really have a great cutting board. Let them. (laughs) I bet you do. Yeah. Um, Why don't you have a TV show? Oh, goodness. Well, (laughs) we have been approached a couple of times. We actually had a company reach out to us and ask us to do a sizzle reel. And we did a couple of interviews with them. But they loved the concept of an all-women design team who had bickering and drama and we don't have that Mm. and when they started interviewing they would ask questions 
that would basically try and get my team to kind of come up with the drama of like, so what do you guys do when Bria's traveling and out of office? What really happens behind the scenes? <laughs> <laughs> and, and they're like, we do our work? And they're like, we, yeah, we're designing. We meet with clients, you know. <laughs> and they're like, so nothing goes on. Uh-huh. And we just realized that we're kind of boring when it comes to that. <laughs> like we all get, a, there's no drama in our office. Mm-hmm. We get along really well. My husband's not involved in the business. And I think that they love a good husband and wife team yeah. on home shows and my husband is in med device sales and he would be quite entertaining on a TV show. <laughs> but I think we'll keep that to our personal lives. <laughs> so. Do you watch any uh, design shows on TV? I, I don't really. You know, sometimes you just need a break. Yeah. Yeah, I bet. <laughs> I mean, it's not that I don't, I'm not inspired by them or certainly like Shay McGee for, from Studio McGee has a show on Netflix. And it's fun to, you know, if I'm on I have some downtime and I want to see a project and, you know, it's a nice way to really be able to see what she's working on. But I don't know. Her husband comes along. A little bit. Yeah. I don't feel like he's doing as much. Is that just for TV? I, well, I will say that he is an incredible part of her business. Okay. But not when it comes to design. I've met them before and she's great. And we, we've connected many times. Yeah. And they're, wow, what a business person. And her husband's very involved, but I don't think in the design. But of course, I'm sure that's the show For that's TV, like, yeah. have to have the husband on there. So. Isn't that funny? But it, it has become this formula that seems to work, especially in the age of all the streaming services. I mean, so many shows. And then you see those designers getting their lines right. and doing their books and, yep. you know, and it all uh, builds on itself. Yeah. It's interesting, I think, that you've been able to do all of that without TV. Right. Well, yeah, I just I don't know. I'm a, I'm not a private person, but I won't be fake. And mm-hmm. so it doesn't seem to be interesting to them once I tell them that. But I think that I could see myself doing something where I'm working with other designers or, you know, it's a part of someone else's show and I'm helping them in some way or form. But I don't know. I haven't seen a show like that yet. So uh-huh. maybe. maybe maybe you need to create it. Yourself. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah. <laughs> I'm sure my husband would love me to do another job on top of all the Take on projects another. I'm doing. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so what is your best advice? I mean, obviously, a lot of entrepreneurs have multiple things going and have endless capacity to be creating. Mm-hmm. Um, you're still executing, too. How do you keep it all straight? How do you, you know, how do you keep growing and stay in the business, too? Yeah, well... I nerd out a lot about EOS. I don't know if Mm -hmm. you guys have talked about that on your show before, but we use EOS to organize and to sustain all of our business, both businesses. So we have been able to kind of, you know, rocket fuel is a big word that comes to mind when thinking about them. it, It allows me to organize my team. Everybody knows what they're doing. We it makes us slow down sometimes of having these what they call rocks as part of EOS is basically larger projects that are part of your job. It just really is a technical way to grow quickly. And we started that probably five years ago. And that's been really great for Hmm. us. That's great. Um, what is on the the horizon? What's what's on your, you know, to do list for this year and for the next few? Gosh, big goals. I, yeah, I have some really big goals, and I don't know how much I can talk about it. I don't <laughs> oh, want to tell it all. It. I know, <laughs> but you know, we're talking about getting more into different ways of showing our work, whether that's a book or other ways. Mm-hmm. 
but that's something that we've been thinking a lot about. And my passion project right now is trying to figure out a way to get my all of my businesses in one place. Mm -hmm. And right now having a warehouse in Edina and then my office is in Mendota Heights and our clients are all over the country. You know, I just have this sense that I just want one location that feels like home. Mm -hmm. And I want to be able to have our clients and our customers come to experience Brook and Lou and Brea Hamill Interiors in a really creative, special way. And, you know, that's kind of what's been on my mind of how do I make that happen? So dream would be all employees under one roof and one place that people can come and really experience our brand. Hmm, I love it. That sounds good. You talked about how COVID, I mean, what, what happened to your business and I mean, a lot of shifting and panicking, but ultimately a lot of money put into homes yeah. in recent yeah. years. Now the economy's changing. Mm-hmm. We're leaving our houses more. What are you seeing in terms of trends? Has it has it impacted your clients at all? Or? Yeah, definitely. I mean, I I think our the housing industry has slowed down faster than maybe the rest of the economy for all the reasons that you just mentioned. We're seeing a lot more renovations happening, so people aren't necessarily out there building new houses right now. They're renovating and making their homes that they live in more special. And that's why I'm so grateful that we're a firm that specializes in both renovations and new construction. I know a lot of firms out there do just one or the other Mm -hmm. and having that flexibility and that skill set to do both because it is definitely different design work. Mm -hmm. But, you know, we're seeing a lot of people stay in place, but we're also seeing a lot of people invest in second homes. Mm -hmm. And that's a big market for us of people that are, you know, building a vacation home. And one of the reasons why we travel so much is we're doing a lot of work in Florida and Arizona and more of those vacation destinations. We have a couple of projects in Charleston right now. And, you know, just people that are deciding either one, they've decided that that's where they want to live full time. Mm -hmm. And so they're really investing it or it's a second home that they're building and they just want to be able to have a place for refuge. Yeah. Who are all of these second homeowners? I know. <laughs> Hopefully me someday. <laughs> right? <laughs> we have to do a lightning round when you're a design expert. It's just essential. Right. So here we go. We won't set a clock or anything. <laughs> but favorite paint color? Ooh. Benjamin Moore White Dove. Okay. So boring, but it's a classic. We use it inside and out and it's just the best color. Design trend that you wish would go away. Design mm. cliche, should oh I say, gosh. that you just cringe when a client asks for, or you try to steer them away from. Oh, I'm lucky that my clients have really good taste for the most part, <laughs> so we don't have that, but oh gosh. Or just something that you see a lot, you know, shiplap, yeah. subway tile. Yeah. Um I would say it's more to do with like different types of pattern, mid-century modern furniture. I just like it's been so overdone. And luckily, the coasts are completely done with it. Minnesota is slowly getting there. So I think like less and less of the mid-century modern. Mm, so then what's next? What, what, where do we go? I, I have been telling these partners that we're working on licensing deals with that traditional is coming back. And we have been modern for a long time. And you are seeing more people invest in antiques. Everyone is thinking about thrifting again. And they're just doing a lot more traditional details. You, I always say, look at fashion. And what's happening in fashion will be in home design in about five years later. Hmm. So we've seen a lot of flowers, pastels. Women are wearing dresses again. 
And I think that that is starting to trickle into home design now of just a lot more fresh traditional. Hmm. Okay, you heard it here. Yeah. <laughs> I love it. Well, Bria, this has been such a delight. Thank you yeah, thank for you all for the time me. and insights and congrats on everything you're building. Thank you so much. Well, while we dream about the living rooms and kitchens we wish would be worthy of a Bria Hamill Interiors Instagram post, let's go back to the classroom with the University of St. Thomas Opus College of Business, where Mike Porter is a marketing professor. And um, I don't know, Mike, are you uh, are you a closet designer as well? Do you do you love beautiful interiors? You know, my wife and I have our have our own way of going about that. We do all these kinds of things ourselves. I think my wife is she drives that bus, but we you know we we line up. You keep your Pinterest board private, do you? Bria's favorite is white, and you look at her website, and it's the end of very white. Ours we we like a lot of wood. So. Okay. <laughs> all right. Well, you can take that up with her, but. Well, most people probably describe her for the the color, the kind of contemporary traditional vibe. We were focusing in on the what something that she used to describe herself as a business person, and that is a cautious risk taker. She's somebody who built a business literally with her name. It's very personal. People originally were paying for her aesthetic, yeah. but now this has grown way beyond one person. So how do you scale that? And do you think she's going about it in the right way? Well, I think the, the, the critical first thing is, you know, you take her words and she says, you know, cautious risk taking. And, and I would say that that's, it's not just cautious, it's calculated hmm. and calculated in every positive sense of, of that word. It's, it's thoughtful, it's forward looking, and it is, it's, there's not ego involved. It, which is sort of an irony in this business that is so driven from its foundations by her personal relationships and, and the personal nature that she feels around the work that she does. Right. And every extension that she's done in this business has kept that through line. It's still there, even though she's doing decor items that she will never meet these people. But she, you can tell that she feels that her touch is on the choices that go into it. And that there is a personal piece of that. And she doesn't want any of that to, to right. diverge, even though her name, her children's names are on the, new, on the new extensions as she distances a little bit from her personal piece. That also keeps a very clean line between the business that the consulting business that will never go away. Because mm -hmm. those of us who do that kind of stuff, it'll never stop. Right. If somebody asks, we're going to go. And and but she doesn't have to give up those pieces to move forward. It is interesting to think about and I think you know this is true in a lot of service type businesses or you know kind of creative fields where you you can only do so much as a human yep. and even with a staff but the the product opportunity and the licensing opportunity once you've built that reputation can be so much larger. Well and and to to that end you know a lot of entrepreneurs, particularly those that are service-based and the business is built around them, have a difficult time at that moment where it's, I, I can't scale from here. There's only so much of me. And how many how many people have you and I met that, that are killing themselves mm -hmm. because they're trying to do the accounting and they're trying to do the human resources and they're trying to be their best designer, but they've got no energy left for that. And I think that she's, she emulates good practice 
best practice mm-hmm. in saying, what do I do? And what can I hire someone else to do? And not have to hire an entire human, but contract that kind of workout. And and it sounds like she's done a good job of that. And then on the other side of it, now she's got some of her employees that work for the one company and then they work for the other company, but they're still doing the math. They're doing the calc- they're, they're doing the accounting early now so that 10 years from now, if, if, if her products business, she wants to spin that off, all the math has already been done. Right. Because if you don't keep those things separate now, how will you know later? Mm-hmm. And, and so she's, again, she's not even consciously doing this groundwork for the future, but it's just there. Once you break through the way she is, you know, starting to do, you know, launched her own furniture line and now she's got other brands coming to her saying, hey, we want a piece of this. We want to put your name on on something of ours. How do you figure out when to say no? Do you just keep scaling as as long as the opportunities are there? Oh, you know, part of that's a personal decision. You know, what's your vision? And in in her case, she doesn't have a a, a be all end all goal. And because of that, I think that she is able to approach each of these opportunities in a way that says, "All right, for the near term, for the foreseeable term, and or is there a long term play in this?" You know, she's not married to any of these things. And therefore, sure, let's try this. But she's also going to be conscious enough to be able to say, okay, what's the exit strategy on this too? Mm-hmm. Can I, do I still have control to be able to stop this when I don't like it? You know, she indicated that she's been approached by TV programs. She's been approached by, by people who want to, to parlay her name into something else. And she's not said yes every time. Right. Which you know, I called out the idea of let's do yes and, oh yeah, we can do that and we can do this. But that also means that you should think about yes and, but not that one because it doesn't fit with the the rest of what we're trying to do. And you and I have talked about other businesses where, you know, what happens to my name if, what happens to my product if, you know, if I sell this, will they run it the way that I would run it? She's she's a long way from that because she's she's scaling her business in ways that allow her to continue to do that. Right. Absolutely. Well, lots lots to to be inspired by from Bria, not just in the photos, but behind the scenes as well as she scales this business. Absolutely. And keeps it so organized and dialed in. Mike Porter, thanks as always for your perspective. We really appreciate it. You're welcome. And thank you to our presenting partner, the University of St. Thomas Opus College of Business. If you want to know more about the show, go to tcbmag.com slash by all means. You'll find all our past episodes, lots of great professor perspectives there as well. Get a mini MBA while you listen. Thanks so much for tuning in to By All Means. Teamwork to make By All Means, and we've got some all-stars. Thanks to our audio engineer, Tom Ferlitti. Digital support is Ricky Hannigan and Dan Nepo. Thanks to the University of St. Thomas Opus College of Business and Schultz School of Entrepreneurship, especially Dean Laura Dunham for all their support. Our theme music is by Song Finch. Thank you for listening to By All Means. (laughs) 